Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Today, Larry Stamm continues his teaching series on the Jewish roots of Christianity, and James Collins welcomes Jim Fletcher to the program for a moment of prophecy. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Watchmen on the Wall is here each day to bring clarity to the chaos. We're able to do that because of your support. Your prayers and financial support keeps us going. Thank you. If you need prayer, please let us know. We have staff members here ready and willing to pray with you. Just call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can submit your prayer needs at our website, swrc.com please know that we are here for you. We appreciate Larry Stamm for his willingness to take us through the Bible to look at the Jewish roots of Christianity. This study is available as a book and a complete 16-episode television series. If you'd like more information on these resources, just call our 800 number, 1-800-652-1144, or visit swrc.com. Now, here's Larry Stamm with today's look into God's Word. Shalom, friends. Larry Stamm here. So glad you're taking some time to be with us as we study the Jewish roots of Christianity, a biblical survey of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. We're continuing our study now by looking at and exploring biblically the tabernacle and the temple as we connect the dots between the Old Testament and New Testament. As we begin the study on the tabernacle and the temple, I want you to keep a couple of key words in your mind. One is foreshadowing. We're going to see a lot of foreshadowing, types and shadows, because the tabernacle and the temple ultimately point to the person and work of Jesus the Messiah. And we're going to see those relationships as we study the Bible in just a moment. The other thing I want you to keep in mind as we study the tabernacle and the temple are these are pictures of spiritual reality. So with that, I want to begin by looking at the tabernacle. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to get one. And we're going to open it up and study from the Word of God. As we know, Romans 10, 17 states, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I hope and pray this study session is an encouragement to your faith in Jesus Christ. The tabernacle, what is it? From the Hebrew word mishkan, it means residence or dwelling place. According to the Old Testament or Hebrew Scriptures, It was the portable dwelling for the divine presence of God from the time of the exodus from Egypt through the conquering of the land of Canaan. Now, it accompanied the Israelites on their wanderings in the wilderness and their conquest of the promised land. The first temple in Jerusalem would supersede it as the dwelling place of God. So when we talk about the tabernacle, first I want to talk about the purposes of the tabernacle. First of all, One purpose of the tabernacle was to provide a dwelling place for God where his glory resides. Another purpose was to provide a place where God could meet with man. And finally, 
very important purpose of the tabernacle was to show or illustrate the panorama of redemption, which we're going to explore and uncover in just a moment. The tabernacle is first mentioned in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, when God commands Moses to build a tabernacle according to the, quote, pattern that God provides. I want us to turn there to Exodus chapter 25. I'm going to begin reading in verses 8 and 9 as we begin our study on the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, we read, And let them make me a sanctuary, or a sacred place, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. I want you to notice the key word there is pattern. God spells out that pattern for the tabernacle and its furnishings. These are the blueprints. And remember I talked about types and shadows. Remember the substance is Christ. These types and shadows point to the person and work of Messiah. The physical tabernacle was a picture of a spiritual reality. Turn now to Hebrews chapter 8. I want us to read verses 1 through 5 of Hebrews chapter 8. We read about Jesus, our great high priest, ministering in the heavenly tabernacle. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we read, Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were here on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee on the mountain. So here in Hebrews chapter 8, we see Jesus, our great high priest, ministering in the heavenly tabernacle again. The physical tabernacle in ancient Israel during their wilderness wanderings when it was first erected was a picture of a spiritual reality. And as we unpack the physical furnishings of the tabernacle, we are going to uncover and discover spiritual realities. Understand that all of the furnishings in the tabernacle were pictures, and what they portrayed was the person and work of Messiah. If you go back to Exodus chapter 25, let your fingers do the walking back to Exodus 25. I want to read the first nine verses of Exodus 25, and then I want to read a handful of verses from Exodus 26. Then I want to unpack some of the symbolism of the furnishings and the colors and the elements utilized in erecting the tabernacle because they powerfully point to the person and work of Messiah. If you have a Bible, Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9, I want to read it. There's a lot here I want to share with you, okay? Here we go. 
Exodus 25, verse 1 through 9. Beginning in verse 1, we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering, and this is the offering which ye shall take of them gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red and badger skins, and shittim wood oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. So I want to give you the description and symbolism of all the elements noted in those verses. First of all, gold represents deity or divinity. By the way, at the birth of Christ, the baby Jesus was offered the gift of gold, remember? In verse 3, we find silver. Silver is a picture of redemption. Bronze represents judgment. Remember the bronze serpent from Numbers 21? Blue represents heaven, purple represents royalty, scarlet thread represents sacrifice, fine linen represents purity, goat's hair represents a sin offering, the ram's skin dyed red represents substitutionary sacrifice, the badger skins represent an outward appearance that's unattractive. Remember Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus in that prophecy about the suffering servant who would be Jesus the Messiah. He had no form or appearance that would become him unto us. Remember, Isaiah 53 said he didn't have an outward appearance that was stunning or striking like a King David or a King Saul that the scriptures talk about. Acacia wood represents incorruptible humanity. Remember Jesus, the Messiah, fully man, fully God, sinless and incorruptible. The oil represents anointing, the spices for anointing and making a sweet incense was a fragrance for God. So those are just symbols. Those elements have symbols, and they all represent something. They all point to the person and work, again, of Jesus, the Messiah. I hope that you are seeing a pattern, and certainly you are, again, Moses commanded by God to build the tabernacle according to the pattern that the Lord would provide. Those patterns in the physical were actually pictures of the spiritual reality. When we think about types and shadows in the Old Testament, remember the substance who is Christ, which is most important because the tabernacle, the temple, and as we go forward in our study, the feasts of Israel were all signposts this way to Messiah. I want to talk now about some more specifics that make up the tabernacle itself. First of all, you had the brazen altar in, and I want to just briefly go back to Exodus 36. I want to read just a few verses from Exodus 36. We're going to read verses 31 through 37 just to fill out what I was sharing. Verse 31 of Exodus 26, the Word of God says, And thou shalt make a veil of purple and blue, and scarlet, a fine twined linen of cunning work, with cherubim shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon the four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang upon the veil under the thatches that thou may bring in 
within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place, and thou shalt set the table without the veil, and the candlestick over the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put the table on the north side, and thou shalt make an hanging door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet and twined linen wrought with needlework. And thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of shittim wood, overlay them with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold, and thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. A little bit more about the tabernacle. And again, to do a study, I encourage you to read Exodus chapters 25 through 27. Specifically, within the tabernacle itself, let's talk about the brazen altar, the Holy of Holies, and the significance of all of that. First of all, let's talk about the brazen altar. In Exodus 27, verses 1 through 5, I want to read about the brazen altar, then unpack that. In Exodus 27, verse 1, the Word of God says, And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes and shovels and his basins and his flesh hooks and fire pans. All the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. Thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass, and upon the net shalt Thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof, and thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. So the purpose of the brazen altar was it was a place to meet with man. It was the only acceptable place of sacrifice. It was the place of substitution, and it was the place of priestly activity. Now we go into the tabernacle itself, into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies included the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. So the Ark of the Covenant, let's talk about in the Holy of Holies. It is a picture of the God-man, a picture of the God-man, Messiah or Christ Jesus. And it's also a symbol of the presence and glory of God. Now, originally, the tabernacle first erected by Moses in the wilderness, you had the pot of manna. Aaron's rod and the testimony. The pot of manna, we find in Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 18. If you remember, Jesus said of himself in John chapter 6, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. We also find Aaron's rod in Numbers chapter 17, verses 2 through 10, and Aaron's rod was proof of the priesthood, and we earlier had read Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and following. And remember that the book of Hebrews and the book of Leviticus, there were those connections. Leviticus, the types in the shadows, and Hebrews, the substance who is Christ, is revealed. And again, I want to read Hebrews 8, verse 5, just to reiterate the fact that Christ is the substance regarding the tabernacle the type in the shadow, but the substance who is Christ. Verse 5 of Hebrews 8, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou shalt make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. 
We have the types and shadows in the physical tabernacle. The substance is Christ, our great high priest ministering in the heavenly tabernacle. Then we see the testimony, which is part of the Ark of the Covenant. That was the Ten Commandments. And if you remember in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, the Word of God says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. So the living Word, Jesus, fully God, fully man, was born. And the Word says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that he tabernacled among us. Finally, I want you to look at the mercy seat, Exodus chapter 25, verse 17. The mercy seat was the lid or cover of the ark. It was the place where atonement took place between the Shekinah gold glory above the ark and the tablets of law inside the ark was the blood-sprinkled cover. Blood from the sacrifices stood between God and the broken law of God. As we conclude this teaching on the tabernacle, couple of things that we mentioned earlier in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. God was in human flesh dwelling among us just as his presence dwelt among the Israelites in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a place where God's glory was revealed in similar fashion, brethren. God's glory was revealed through the person of Messiah Jesus. And finally, I want to leave you with this regarding the tabernacle. And again, a type and a shadow. How many places, if you can picture in your mind the physical tabernacle, how many entrances into the outer court? There was one. How many entrances into the holy place? There was one. And finally, how many entrances into the holy of holies? There was one. In the same way, there was only one entrance and is only one entrance to the living God. Jesus, remember, called himself the door. He called himself in John chapter 14, the way. In fact, in John 14, verse 6, the Lord Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. By the way, friends, there's only one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. Only one way. And there was only one way into the tabernacle, the outer court, the holy place, and ultimately the holy of holies. So there is a brief teaching on the tabernacle. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. In our next session, we are going to begin our study on the temple. There were similarities between the temple and the tabernacle. There were also some things that were different. There are also applications for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Until next time, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Thank you, Larry. The complete teaching series, Jewish Roots of Christianity, is available as a book, TV series on DVD, and a CD set. Get your Jewish Roots of Christianity resources by calling 1-800-652-1144. Or see the complete collection of Jewish Roots of Christianity items at our website, swrc.com. My friends, please continue to pray with us as we move closer to our goal of Studio 50, a new updated recording studio. Your financial help is needed today. 
Would you please support this project with your tax-deductible gift? Simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can visit swrc.com and show your support there. Thank you, my friends. James Collins and Jim Fletcher are here now to discuss Israel and the end of the world. Since most end-time prophecies have to do with the nation of Israel, scholars before 1948 struggled to make sense of those prophecies. Writing in 1909, C.I. Schofield said, According to the prophets, Israel will be a regathered nation restored to her own land. Now, when Schofield wrote those words, Israel did not exist, and there was no expectation that the nation would ever exist again. In 1946, the founder of this ministry, Southwest Radio Church, Dr. E.F. Weber, wrote these words, I cannot explain how, but at the end of this age, Israel will be a nation again. Five years later, he wrote, I visited Palestine in 1950 and saw the Jews returning to their promised land from every nation. Now, can you imagine how excited E.F. Weber must have been to see Bible prophecy being fulfilled before his very eyes? Joining me to talk about the modern state of Israel is Jim Fletcher. Jim is an author and speaker specializing in Bible prophecy, specifically the nation of Israel. He's the author of two books that we're going to talk about today. It's The End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine and The Last War. Jim, welcome back to The Watchman on the Wall. Great to be with you. Jim, why in the world is such a tiny nation, a nation smaller than the state of New Jersey, why is the nation of Israel the focus of the world? I mean, anytime anything happens in Jerusalem, it's headlines all over the world the next day. Why is that? To paraphrase the late, great Dave Hunt, it's because God said it would be so. And that's it. That's the answer. He decided for his own purposes in ancient times that Israel and Jerusalem would be the focal point of the end of world history. And here we are, and it's absolutely true. You can visit Israel today, you can visit Jerusalem, and you know you see UN trucks and cars. There is an unusually high number of international journalists based there. So the question is why? As you said, it's a small country, and I think the only answer is that God said it would be so in predictive prophecy. Israel returning as a nation in 1948 is really the super sign of Bible prophecy, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. We have talked before about Yaakov Kirshen, the Israeli cartoonist, who had conversations with him about this, and he made the same point that when he was a young man that was pre-state, he said that whether it was Jews or Christians, when he talked about the prophecies outlining the return of the Jews to their land, he said everybody laughed. And he said, as he put it, there were only a few crazy American preachers and some rabbis that said the Jews would return. And yet, just a few years after that, they did. And by the way, they returned from the ashes of the Holocaust. I mean, when you think about the fact that 1944-45, the Nazis were in control, and three years later, they're completely gone, and the Jews are back in the land, that's absolutely incredible. You describe a time in the book, It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine, 
when you were in Jerusalem and you saw a plaque with a verse from Zechariah and you realized that Bible prophecy had been fulfilled before your very eyes. Now, the verse was Zechariah 2.4, which says, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. Tell me about that and how that affected you. Yeah, the plaque is next to an open window. And so, you know, of course, you're in the, literally the walls of the old city. And as you look out toward the west, the western part of Jerusalem, you see all sorts of construction going on all the time. And that started in the 19th century when, for the very first time, they started to construct dwellings and businesses outside the city walls. So that prophecy took over 2,000 years to be fulfilled, and yet it was in remarkable detail. And it's there for anyone to look at any time. My guest is Jim Fletcher. Jim is an expert on Israel. He is the author of two books. It's The End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine and The Last War. Both of these books have to do with the nation of Israel, and they're available right now by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. Jim, probably the most famous chapter in the book of Ezekiel is the Valley of the Dry Bones chapter, Ezekiel 37. Tell me about that chapter and how that's being fulfilled in Israel today. Yeah, it tells about the Jews would return to their ancestral land after a very long time in exile. They certainly have done that. Now, one of the interesting things about that chapter is that a lot of preachers today and ministries use that as a symbolic of churches that have been dead and dying, but they have been rejuvenated. Talk about revival. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I suppose the application can be made, but... In the chapter itself, the Lord himself says, this is the house of Israel. And so it's very specific that this refers to a future final return of the Jews, and that happened in the last century. We were talking about the conflict in Israel, the constant state of conflict, and a lot of that has to do with control of the Temple Mount. What exactly is the Temple Mount and why is it so important? The Temple Mount is an area on the very eastern edge of the old city. It's kind of a raised platform, which was the site in ancient times of the two Jewish temples. The Romans destroyed it for the second time in AD 70. In the intervening years, Muslims took over a church there and turned it into the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And then, of course, the more famous Golden Dome of the Rock is there. So those are two... Muslim shrines, and for obvious political reasons, it's really a flashpoint. And yet, there are Jews working in Israel today to prepare the way for the Third Temple to be built. My guest is Jim Fletcher, and we've been talking about two of his books. It's The End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine and The Last War. Both of these books have to do with the nation of Israel, and you can get both now at a special price by calling 1-800-652-1144 or you can order online at swrc.com. This is James Collins reminding you that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jewish Roots of Christianity is available for you, your church, really for anyone wanting to know the Jewish history of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. The book, DVDs, and CDs, all available for you. 
Call 1-800-652-1144 and order the complete Jewish Roots of Christianity collection. 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Tomorrow, James Collins talks with author Jim Fletcher about how to be fine with the end of the world. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.